We are in Philippians, like Mike said, we're skipping a couple verses that Brian's going to teach tonight. So we're in verse 12, but verse 12 starts with a therefore, so I kind of have to reference what Brian's going to teach. And like Josh, I'm going to try not to teach Brian's session. But the session before this talks about the humility of Jesus and what it meant where he humbled himself and he came and he became our sacrifice where he saved us. So keep in mind Jesus' humility as we talk about these things. And that's kind of what Paul is building on when he writes this letter. And just a reminder, this is not, I know Mike said it and Josh said it, this is not like a church Paul didn't know. Paul knew people's faces. He knew their names. He knew their, their stories. Paul would think back and just have fond memories of Lydia, would have fond memories of eating in her home. You know, he was going to go somewhere, and she was like, no, 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 you need to come stay at my house. Let me take care of you. He would have fond memories of that Philippian jailer being in his house in the middle of the night, getting his wounded back washed, his family getting saved and being baptized. Paul could think back on these things, and he loved this church very much. It was, like, really dear to him. So when he writes this letter, it's not just, you know, sometimes I think we read through it and we're like, oh, this is just another letter from Paul. But Paul is writing to people he loves, people he cares about, people he wants to encourage in their faith and wants to encourage to keep walking with the Lord. So he says here in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, the people he loves, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Hold fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. So, I'm not going to tell you where I actually have to stop my teaching, because I think it'll be like a fun roller coaster. You'll be like, oh, he's almost done, and I might start reading again. And you're like, oh, he's still going. So this is the first little part here. Paul writing to them, and he says, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence, but in my absence also, this is a church who isn't just doing the right thing because Paul's there, right? A lot of you guys know what it's like to say the right thing, do the right thing because your youth leader's there, your parents there. This is a church who does the right thing because they love Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And there's a whole section there in John 14 where Jesus talks about loving him and keeping his commandments kind of go hand in hand together, right? Sometimes we think that idea of love is that Disney emotional thing that happens. But a lot of times love is choosing, choosing to obey God, choosing to love your brother or your sister when you would rather punch them, right? Love is sometimes more of a choice than just that emotional fuzzy feeling. And a lot of times we don't like to think like, keeping God's commandments and love go together. But that's what Jesus says. If you love me, you'll do the things that I said. 
That's what love looks like. So Paul here, he's like, you guys have always been good at this. You've been good at keeping God's word. They would read through the Old Testament. They'd read through the things Paul wrote, and they'd be like, all right, well, now this is, we have to do this. God's saying this. And it wasn't like a chore to them. It wasn't hard for them, right? You, if you don't know, these were total Gentile people. They didn't know, probably, maybe Lydia, but the Philippian jailer probably didn't, some of the people in church wouldn't know about the Jehovah God of the Old Testament. They would know more about Zeus and the Greek pantheon and Caesar worship. So this is all new to them. They're discovering this. And as they read through God's word, they read and they find like the Ten Commandments. And they're like, oh, I shouldn't steal from people. Okay, I shouldn't murder people. Things that were like, yeah, obviously, right? They would read through, they would begin to understand God's word, and they would want to apply that and live that out in their life. And Paul, congrats, he says, you do a great job. Not just when I'm with you, but even when I'm not there. And he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So this is a little bit, some people might not like that. He's not saying work for your salvation. Right? If you're here and you don't know what salvation is, you probably, by the time you're in high school, have realized, or in junior high, you've realized that you're a sinner. You realize you make mistakes. You realize that no matter how hard you try, you're going to come up short. You're going to fail. And God is perfect, and you can't attain his perfection. Salvation, Paul lays it out through almost all of his writings, is Jesus was God himself. He came and was born he lived on earth, he lived a perfect life, and he let himself be sacrificed and killed for our sins. He paid for all of the sins that you've committed and will commit. He was a substitute for you. He took your sins and gave you his perfection. He died, and then he rose again. So we have hope in that. We have a promise of eternal life. That's what salvation is. And Paul's not saying, you need to be really good because if you mess up, you're not getting salvation. No, you can't earn it to begin with, and you can't keep it. It's all about Jesus. It's not about what you do or don't do. But what Paul is saying to them is, if you believe those things, if you believe that Jesus came and he took your sins and he died on a cross, he was whipped and brutalized and beat for you, your life should look like something. All of those things should be worked out of your life. You should be working to present yourself, he's going to say, as lights in the dark world, right? When you get saved, if you, maybe some of you here have like just gotten saved, and you'll start to realize that the way you think about things, the Lord starts to change those things, the way you talk, the way you act, the things that happen in your life, the Lord starts to change those. That's good. That's God working those things out in your life. And the next verse is really Cool. It says, for God works in you both to will and to do. Right? You get saved. If you have Jesus living in your heart and your life, you love him, you keep his commandments, you want to follow him, that's not something you can just like, all right, today I am not going to think an impure thought. You kind of can't do that. But it says God is the one who gives you the desire to follow him, to live these things out, to let your life be that. And then he's the one who does it in you, right? He gives you the desire and the ability to do it. 
the cool thing is, as a Christian, it's not about you. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he does in your life. But then there's that other side where it's like, okay, well then if God does it, I don't have to do anything. I have no responsibility in this because God saved me and God's the one who gives me this desire. Well, he says, work it out with fear and trembling. There's a seriousness to this where if you want to walk with the Lord, you need to make those choices. Like Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right? Walk with Jesus and realize God's the one who's doing it in you. How that exactly works out in your individual life, where you're at in your friend group, in your families, that's between you and Jesus. But we can rest knowing God's the one who's doing the work in my heart, wanting me to be pure, to be holy, to be set apart for him. And he's going to be the one who helps me live that out in my daily life. Right? But you, he says, work it out. You know what it's like to get something you know, new. You get a new, now everybody knows how to use an iPhone, but you get a new phone and you're like, oh, this has some cool things and you figure out how to like work it and how to use it and how to make it a part of your life. That should be the same with God's word, with your salvation. Okay, if I'm saved, what does this look like in my friend group? If Jesus is living in my heart, if the Holy Spirit is in me, what does that look like when I talk to my parents? What does that look like when I interact you know, on a basketball court or wherever it is in your life? Your, your Christian walk should look like something, right? And then he starts to give some pretty practical examples here of what that should look like. He says, do all things without complaining and disputing. Um, that's really easy, right? It's really easy to just never complain about anything. I never complain about hard things in life, about my job or, you know. No, that's kind of like a difficult thing. If you work in the world, if you have a job in, you know, fast food or as a whatever, a grocer or whatever it is, right, you're going to have people who work with you. And if you are there and you're not complaining about life, you're going to look a little different to them. If you can, you know, take out the trash when your parents ask you to without being like, oh, are you kidding me? I did this last week. If you can go through life without grumbling and complaining, and we're, we're going to sometimes, but he says, do everything without grumbling and complaining. For some reason, I hated taking out the trash. And it was like my one job that I had to do. My parents gave me a good life. And I was like, are you kidding me? I have to take this out again? <sighs> okay, fine. If you'll keep paying for my cell phone, I'll take out the trash. Right? We just, we grumble, right? This kind of links back to Israel in the desert. They get out of Egypt. Moses leads them out. God does all these miracles, and they get out, and they get to the, the sea, and Pharaoh's coming behind them, and they're like, all right, Moses, you just brought us out here to kill us. And they start complaining there. And then God delivers them. And then they get thirsty, and they complain about that, and God gives them water. And then they get hungry, and God feeds them, and then they complain. And then just like all through their wilderness wanderings, God's just showing him, showing them his kindness and his grace, and they just complain and complain and complain. Right? That's not what we should look like. God's gracious, but he says that do it without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. If you work somewhere with a bunch of unsaved people, you know that it's not normal if you get the job that nobody likes to just be like, okay, 
I got to go do this thing. Anyone else who gets that is like, are you kidding me? They always pick on me. Why do I have to be the one who does this? I always get the bad jobs. I'm Right? But if you're just like, all right, fine. I have to go do this. And you go do your job. People start to notice that. Like, why didn't they complain about that? Why are they not complaining about their teachers being so unfair? Why are they not complaining about their tests? Why are they not complaining about life? Why are you kind of like, it's a really easy way to set yourself apart. You're not grumbling and complaining and causing disputes and fights. People will start to notice that. It sets you apart. And he says that you're going to be without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as a light in the world. Uh, I don't know if you know, but if it's dark, you can see a light from really far away. So around here, you can't see the stars quite so well because there's a lot of light pollution. But if you like go out into the middle of the wilderness and look up, you see all of these stars that are like light years away, so far away. That light is seen, and it's very clear. Uh, they did some studies in World War II. You know, there were these air raids that were happening in England. So they had these blackouts where they would like, mandate that there couldn't be lights in the towns and in the cities. They'd have to like cover up their windows with certain materials so that light wouldn't get out because as the bombers would come over, they'd see light. And they'd be like, something's there. We're going to drop a bomb there. So they actually made them like do these blackouts because they said that in, in darkness, you could see a match lit from like three miles away. Just a little match. You can see light in total darkness really far away. So he says, if you have Jesus in your heart, if you are going to work out your salvation, a really simple way to do that, to let that life of Christ come out through you, stop grumbling and complaining because you're going to just shine. That's just something that's going to shine in your life. It's going to be clear and evident. And he says, hold fast to the word of life. Right? You're going to go through high school, college, if you're in you know, a just a normal public high school, there's going to be people who want to take away the things that your parents or that your church or that you've been taught about God. He says, hold fast to that. Hold fast to that. Because these people, it was a lot more difficult for them. They lived in a world where you had to do different kinds of worship. You had to be worshiping different deities for different things. And when they didn't, Sometimes people wouldn't give them their business. Their jobs would be struggling because of that. Or, like, it was a different world. Paul's like, hold fast. Hold fast to these things that you know, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Paul basically, he loves these people so much. He's like, if everything I've gone through, if the, the whips, if the prison, if all of the things that have happened and gone through, shipwrecks, all, if you guys hold fast, it was all worth it. But the contrast is also there. If you guys stop holding fast, then it, my, all that I did to bring the gospel to you was in vain. Like, that's a pretty heavy thing that Paul puts there. He's like, hold fast because I, I don't want to run in vain. I want you guys to hold on to it. So as you go, whatever it is, college, back to school in the fall, wherever you're at, there's going to be those things that want to, Pull God's word away from you. Hold fast. 
Hold fast to keep those things in there. We're in a world where there's tons of distraction. There's tons of good things and bad things that can distract you. I have a family. I have a wife and kids. I love them very much. But I should never let them become the priority over Jesus in my life, right? Not only bad things can kind of let us release that grip. There's sometimes good things that get in the way that clog our, our focus and our life, right? Hold fast is what Paul says. And he says, yes, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. Paul's like, if my life is just poured out for you guys, you got saved, if my life is just spent doing that, that's good. My life is poured out. So there's different kinds of offering both in Israel and in you know, the Roman Greek worships where they would pour a drink on top of the offerings to their gods. They'd have this thing and they would just pour that drink out, right? Paul's like, if that's me, if I'm just getting poured out on the offerings of your lives, I'm good with that. That's fine. And he says, I'm going to rejoice with you in that. I rejoice in those things. And then he says, for the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Don't be brokenhearted that I'm in jail, that I might be beheaded, that I might be destroyed. He said, rejoice with me. My life has value. I did these things. Rejoice. Right? They're concerned about Paul. They love Paul just like Paul loves them. Now I'm not done. We're going to start reading again. It's that excitement. You don't know if I'm done yet. Verse 19. But I trust in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly that I may also be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that a son with his, as a son with his father he served with me in the gospel. Therefore I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. So Paul's setting up Timothy now. He's talked about different ways that your life should look if you're going to work those things out. And now he's going to give them like this example, Timothy. So he loves his church. He's like, I want to send Timothy to you because I want to know how you're doing. They couldn't just pull out their phone and call and be like, hey, Paul, how are you? Oh, we're doing good. You know, five more people just got saved. We're doing a baptism this week. Or, hey, look, you know, we're not doing so good. A lot of people are getting thrown in jail. They couldn't call Paul. They had to send that guy, Epaphroditus, to him. He comes and he brings Paul an offering and he's telling them a little bit. Now, Paul is like, I want to send Timothy to you. And the reason I want to send Timothy is because there's no one else who is as like-minded or has the same heart for you. Uh, If you don't know, Timothy, uh, we kind of meet him in Acts chapter 16. He's there in uh, Lystra and Derbe. It's a place that Paul visits. And he's basically just a young guy, and Paul meets him. He wants to go with Paul, and he goes along on these missionary journeys. He's with Paul. We find out that his father is not a believer, but his mom and his grandmom are, you know, they believed the Old Testament until Paul came. They were Jews. Now they get saved. Timothy comes along, right? So Timothy may have grown up in a world where his dad was sharing all the stories of the Greek pantheon. His dad may have been there saying, yo, look, look at Hercules. Look what he did. You know, Zeus is up there with his lightning bolt. Poseidon's the king of the sea. Like, Timothy may have grown up with these two different things poured into his life. We don't know all the details, but we know his dad's a Greek. Timothy, 
to join Paul, has to make some personal sacrifices to go with him, right? At some point, he must have looked and been like, this stuff that maybe my dad or the world is saying is not as real as this stuff that mom and grandma are saying. I see those things happening. I see these things happening, and that's real, right? And he starts journeying with Paul. Right after he meets up with Paul, Paul ends up going. He gets the the vision of the Macedonian, and he goes, and he ends up in Philippi. Timothy's not with him very long, and then Paul's getting, like, whipped, and Paul's getting thrown in prison. Timothy's there. Timothy knows these people. They know Timothy. Timothy loves these people like Paul does. Right? He's there, and Paul's like, out of everyone with me, the person that I want to send is Timothy because his heart is similar to mine. I have no one like-minded, he says in verse 20, who will sincerely care for your state. So he says, what sets Timothy apart is he's someone who cares about you. He cares about your state. A lot of people in this world, he says, are seeking their own, not the things of Jesus. Timothy, Timothy cares about you, and he cares about the things of Christ. That's why I'm going to send him. And he says, you know his proven character. You've seen him. You've seen him in hard times. You've seen him with me. You've seen the things that have happened. He's got a proven character. He's served with me. Right? This is like high praise for Timothy, but at the end of this book, he's going to write, and he's going to say, the saints are with me, the brethren are with me. So that means there's a bunch of people who are with him, who don't have the same mind that Timothy has, who he says here, seek their own. They're not seeking the things of Christ. There's people here who aren't going to come and serve them the way Timothy would. That's who Timothy is. And he's like, this guy, he's valuable to me. That's important because Timothy didn't grow up in a picture-perfect home. He didn't grow up, we don't know. He probably did not grow up in all those picture-perfect church scenarios, but he was still valuable for God's kingdom. God still had something he wanted to do with his life, and he's still a guy who learns to serve. He learns to seek the things of Christ. He learns to love others, not just himself. If you want to walk with the Lord, these are things that you start to put in your life. I'm going to start caring about the other people in my youth group. I'm going to start putting them above myself. I'm going to start serving them. I'm going to start like doing things for them that I wouldn't normally do. I'm going to kind of mold my life like Timothy. right? And the Lord can use that. As far as I know, we don't have anything said from Timothy in the Bible. We don't have like Timothy's sermon. There's letters written from Paul to Timothy, Timothy is just a guy who's serving with Paul. He's got this heart. Right? If you are like, I would love to serve the Lord, but I don't know what I could do to serve the Lord. I don't know where I could just start serving. Right? Find out, what does, what does your church need? Does it need someone to come in and vacuum after services? Does it need someone to come in and put out chairs? Need someone to come in and you know, do whatever? Start serving. Because you can be like Timothy. You can be valuable in those things. Start loving others more than yourself. Start loving and seeking the things of Jesus, not just what you can do on your TikTok, 
on how many followers you can get on Instagram, right? Start saying, like, what can I do to benefit other people, not just myself, right? That's what Timothy did. And he becomes very valuable to Paul. He becomes Paul's, like, right-hand man, just because he's willing to go and do whatever Paul needs. You need me to go back to Philippi? I'll go. You need to leave me here to encourage the church? I'll do that. You want me to go there, do that, whatever? He just did whatever Paul needed. He stepped in and he served. Great opportunity. You're not too young to serve the Lord. You don't have to serve the Lord in some great capacity to be valuable. You just need to do what the Lord puts in front of you. And Paul's like, I'm, I want to send him, but I'm hoping to come see you. I'm planning this. He said before that, he's like, I, to live is, is, gain, is Christ, to die is gain. I'm willing to do either of these things, but it's beneficial for you if I come. And he always saying, like, look, I'm planning to come. I'm going to send Timothy, but I'm planning to come see you soon. I'm sending Timothy, but I want to come see you. He's, he's longing for these people. And then he says, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. So next he says, there's this guy, Epaphroditus. He's the guy who came from Philippi, and he brought with him a gift for Paul, a, a gift of money to help support Paul in his ministry. Right? Paul was a tent maker. He would do that. He would work and support himself. Well, at different times, this church sends him money to help support him so that he can focus just on sharing God's word. Right? And this guy, Epaphroditus, comes. He's bringing this money to Paul. And it wasn't an easy thing. They didn't like hop on a train or in a boat like we have or in a, an airplane. They, it would be like, all right, we're going to get a donkey. We're going to get on like a boat with sails or people with oars. Or however he gets there, he does it very slowly, very dangerous. Traveling these roads, there was a lot of thieves. There was a lot of robbers. There was a lot of things going on. So he comes. I don't know. It doesn't say if he comes with a group. doesn't say if he comes by himself. It just says this guy comes. He brings his offering from the church to help Paul out. He's in prison to help take care of him. They didn't have, like, diners in prisons. You know, they couldn't, like, go to the cafe and be like, yeah, I need. They were just in prison. If people didn't bring them food, they starved and died. So Timothy's there with them, probably bringing some of those needs Right? And this church sends money to help take care of him. And on his way, he gets sick. And somehow news gets back to the church that he's sick, and they're concerned for him. They're probably concerned, all of our money we sent to Paul, did it get there? Did he get sick on the way? Did he die? What's going on? So Paul, he's, he loves this guy. He's like, all right, 
I'm going to send him back with Timothy. He's going to come back too. He's probably the guy who brings actually the letter of the Philippians back to them. So he brings something very important to Paul, a gift to Paul. And then he takes this letter back to the church that we're reading thousands of years later. This is a guy we don't know anything really about other than this. There's a few other places where people think he might be the same guy. The name's a little different, but we don't know a whole lot about him. All we know is that he came to Paul. He was sick. He got better. And Paul loves him so much, he's like, if he would have died, it would have, God was gracious, not just on him, but to me, because it would have been a blow to Paul. Paul's like, oh man, I couldn't have, I don't know if I could have taken losing him coming to bless me and dying on the way. Paul loves this guy. And he's like, all right, I want to send him back to you because somehow this guy gets sick. The church hears about it. Then he hears that the church heard about it. So he's concerned that the church is concerned about him. There's just a bunch of Christian love happening. That's what Christians do. We love each other. But he couldn't, once again, he couldn't pull out his phone and be like, hey, listen, guys, I'm fine. I'm here ministering to Paul. Everything's good. We got the money here. We're able to, you know, bring him food now for the next month or whatever it is. He just is like, I know they found out and they don't know if I'm alive or dead. They just know I was sick. So Paul's like, this guy, he came, he did what you sent him to do. And he gives him some really like cool, when he sends him back, he says, he's my brother. He's someone we are from the same family, our our father is the same, right? His theology is accurate. We are both on the same page. He's my brother in the faith. And he says, he's a fellow worker. He's someone who's worked with me. He's been there with me serving. He's my fellow worker. That's encouraging. I would love to have been able to have like Paul be like, yeah, Chuck, he's a fellow worker. He's, he's joined with me in, in this field of work, in this labor. He's been with me. He's been there. And he says, fellow soldier. He's there fighting. Paul would write that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and you know that whole thing from Ephesians, right? This guy is in the battle with Paul. Maybe he's just a prayer warrior. Maybe he's the guy who is just there praying for Paul, right? Whatever God has gifted him in, that's what he's doing. If he's gifted as an evangelist, he's out sharing the gospel, if he's gifted in serving, he's serving people. If he's whatever God has gifted him to do, that's what he's doing. And Paul here, he doesn't say, I'm the great apostle and he's kind of helping me. He puts them on the same level. So if God has gifted you to do something and you step into that, your value in eternity is the same as like Billy Graham's value because you've been faithful with the things that God has given you. God hasn't called all of us to be Billy Graham. God has called you to be what you are. Right? The people who do the little things, right? This is a big church here. There's a lot of people who do a lot of things behind the scenes. Most people don't see the people who vacuum the floors and who clean the sanctuary before thousands of people come in. But I think it would be totally different if people walked into the church and there was trash everywhere and stains on everything and it was just disgusting, they'd probably walk in and be like, I'm not, I'm not comfortable sitting here because it's so dirty, right? Those people 
are doing what God has set in front of them, and their value in eternity is just as valuable as the person who's standing at the front sharing God's word. Right? That's really cool. Paul puts that value on this guy Epaphroditus. It's pretty cool. And he says, he was your messenger. He came from you. He did the things that you asked him to do. He came and he ministered to me. He, he encouraged me. He strengthened me. He built me up, right? Paul is in prison. He doesn't have a complete freedom like we do. He's like, he came and he encouraged me, right? Paul was not a man who was never discouraged. God has to come to him and say, look, I got you. I've got many people here. There was different times in Paul's life where God needs to encourage him. He's spoken to him in dreams and different things. Well, God sends this guy, Epaphroditus, who comes, and he's like, man, he, he ministered to me. He, he brought me just what I needed, not just financially, but he ministered to me personally. Pretty cool, this guy. And he says he was sick. He actually almost died. He was so sick that he almost died, but God was gracious to heal him and to heal me, or to heal him, and that was just a blessing to me. It's really cool because Paul, through his ministry, has all these different times where he's healed people. There's different places where he's been, and they're literally like taking his sweaty rags and giving them to sick people, and sick people are getting healed. Not the kind of healing I want. I don't want the sweaty rag healing. I want something a little cooler than that. But Paul doesn't say like, yeah, I healed him. He's like, no, God healed him. We don't know, is it a miraculous healing like that? Or is it that just over time, God strengthened his body and he got better? Right? If you haven't realized that you've been healed every time you've been like sick, no one's in here with a stomach bug throwing up, God healed you. right? We don't know if it was that kind of physical, natural healing, or if it was just a miraculous, you know, Paul and Timothy and the believers prayed for him when he finally got there and he was healed. But he gets healed, and Paul says, I'm going to send him the more eagerly back to you. He came, he was sick, he almost died, he got here, and he says, Receive him with all gladness. Hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. He says, people like this, people who are willing to stop whatever they're doing, he just took probably months out of his life to stop whatever his business was. We don't know about his family. And he stopped because there was something that God needed him to do. If you're here and you're from another church, that's because some people stopped what they were doing and they brought you here. They stopped. Maybe they took vacation time from their job. Maybe they left their family for a couple days to come and get you here. Those are the kind of people that you should hold in high esteem, right? Like the famous people in the world, they've never actually done anything for you. LeBron James hasn't actually done anything for you. But the person who, like, is up all night with you in your hotel room or wherever it is, they're the people who have, like, taken time away from their life to be like, I want to invest something of eternal value into your life. And Paul would say, hold those people in high esteem, this guy, he almost died doing what God wanted him to do. Hopefully, none of our leaders who came almost die to get you here to get you home. But they've, they, you know, it's pretty cool. I, I love to be around people who serve the Lord because I know that 
that's what they do. People who serve the Lord will put their lives on hold to do what God asked them to do. And people like that are really cool. Right? It's encouraging. And he said, when he came, he wasn't regarding his life, and he came to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. So if Paul just got all this money, I'm sure it would have encouraged him. But actually having someone come and look him in the face and say, look, the church is doing well. We're surviving. It might be difficult, but we're doing it. We're praying for you, Paul. We love you. We care about you. That probably meant just as much or more to Paul than having like the money they sent to him. To know, like, all right, there's this whole church praying for me. That, that's encouraging, right? So we're going to wrap up. No more guessing whether we're done. That's where I finish. Brian's going to come and play one more song. So just think about these things, right? What does it look like in your life to walk with the Lord? What does it look like if you believe in salvation, if you believe in those things? How should your life look? How should your life be different? Right? How should your life be changing? Right? If uh, Maybe if you've got to go home, I don't know. If you've got to go home and you've got some like crazy things happening, you're, you're going back to school or you're going to college and you feel like, I just want to hold tight to these things. I don't want to let them go because I know I'm going to be challenged. I want to hold fast in those things. Uh, I don't know, maybe stand up or ask your leader to pray for you. or right? That's what we want to do. We're here because we want to encourage you in these things that are valuable. So if you feel like that's you, grab your leader. Say, hey, I want you to pray for me. Grab someone who looks like they're an adult. Grab a friend, whoever, and just say, hey, look, I want to hold fast to these things. I don't want to let them go. In this world that we live in, uh, I need that. And then start to figure out what does it mean to care like Timothy did, to have Timothy's heart. What does it mean to serve like Timothy and Epaphroditus? And then start to esteem the people who are pouring valuable things, your parents, your youth leaders, the people who are here, start to esteem them. Hey, you know what? You might actually have something to say that's more important than what YouTube has to say. Maybe I'll, I'll listen to you for a couple minutes. Right. So those are my encouragements. As we pray, as we sing, if you want to pray with someone, just do it. Grab them. Don't be like scared to do it. That's what we're here for. We're not here to play games. We're here to grow closer to Jesus. So if there's something the Lord puts on your heart, grab the person next to you. We're going to sing a song and then just, hey, pray for me. This is what's going on. This is what I need prayer for.